welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely. In a world given back to us, this is Wade here in the newly refurnished, refurbished, renovated, revamped podcast studio. Thanks to our dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. I am joined by the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and our chapel preacher today, who I would say is dressed quite sharply, if you will accept that compliment, Jason. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, And uh, that would be the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. And we are doing a bonus episode today, so I'll have to figure out, I'll probably put it out with an episode number like we used to do for the winging it. We got to do another series at some point, maybe this summer, but uh, which is a good reminder to plug that. If you never listened to the Luther series, go back and listen to the Luther Winging It series or the Church History Winging It series or the Divine Service Western Rite Liturgy uh, Winging It series. But this will be a bonus episode because we're talking about something that is a wonderful bonus. I think it makes a good bonus. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I think this is a good bonus. And what we'll be talking about is, I have to say, one of, can't even just say, Michael's new book. I have to say, one of Michael's new books. Now, that's one of them is still pre-order, or they're both? That's plural, right? <laughs> yes. Plural, plural, you said, yeah. But it's only two. It's only two. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the uh, on any given Sunday, which is about worship, uh, much of it you can find in the Winging It series, but there's there's more to, this, to the story, quite literally. Um, that is... Um, pre-order 1517 Amazon that kind of stuff coming out April April 18th um, and you're gonna if you are on social media with 1517 or let the bird fly or me I apologize in advance but you're probably gonna get something every other day for the next month uh, and you know what that's how it works Jason and I are gonna be sharing it too because yeah, yeah, that's what friends do so that's right. I, hopefully uh, I understand why um, but I do feel bad that I'm flooding people's uh, social media. Don't feel bad. I enjoy it, Michael. Yeah. And then... Um, I get to... Almost every day I wake up and I go on and I, I see your face. Yeah. Whether it's a TikTok or, yeah. or a, a video, whatever, it, and it makes me happy. I just want to yeah. say that I'm thoroughly embarrassed by all of this. <laughs> um, but I've been asked to do it. And as you know, I will do what I'm asked. I am a good little soldier. Yeah. I would have been a royalist. Except like have... if you're asked to respect <laughs> me, love me... <laughs> Um, give me attention. Oh boy, that you won't do. I I do reluctantly, but I do now. So that's book number one. Um, so we are calling that one. Yeah, sure. Um, and well, it's then, technically book number two, but it's number one of sure. the new books. Yeah, and then uh, the baptismal life, which is by Northwestern Publishing House. That is, you can you can you can order it, and it can come in, the, in a couple days. It's not just pre order. There's a nice little um, uh, little trailer for that, too. I'll be advertising that. Um, so you'll see a lot of that. Again, my apologies. But, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I noticed on the cover they have Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. Mm-hmm. Did you consider having them put Wade's friend, the Reverend Dr. Wade's friend and colleague, mm-hmm. the Reverend Dr. Michael I Berg? I did not consider that. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, I don't think about you that much. So uh, that'd probably be the first one. <laughs> that stings, Michael. That stings. Um, 
Nor did I ask you to write the foreword. I noticed. That, Three books, no foreword. No foreword, yeah. What I like to do is promote my friends and colleagues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, Michael, you remember writing a foreword for me. I did, I did. And coming on my podcast. I do also remember you saying, hey, let's. Uh, I'm writing a book. Uh, would you like to write a chapter in it? And then... Uh, a few days later, you're like, I wrote the whole thing. Never mind. <laughs> that is true. You, you can write the foreword. That was the uh, Let the Bird Fly book. That is a true story. Which is which is amazing that you wrote the whole book in a weekend. Um, uh, but yeah. It was maybe a little more than a weekend, but it was quick. It was like yeah. Three days later. I'm um, like, sure, Wade. We'll talk about it later. And then he's like, oh, sorry, I already wrote it. Done. So if you, I will say, if you see um, Mike's new book referenced, like, Mike Berg has a new book. Just remember to ask which one. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about the baptismal life, which maybe I think makes sense to be the one we do right now because this ties in very well with the vocation book and it's a nice transition to the worship book, which will be on any given Sunday. Um, and so we will have another bonus episode on on an every, any given Sunday, maybe a little bit closer to the release date. I will leave that up to you, Michael. Uh, Michael was kind enough. He got a copy of The Baptismal Life for me and for Jason. Yes, out did. of my own pocket. I don't know why he's constantly complaining. I just yeah. gave him a gift. Yeah. And uh, and so I did. Um, this book has cost me money so far. <laughs> yeah. I did I did more than pretend to read it. I did try to give it. Uh, I had to skim because we had one night. Sure. Um, so I got parts. And I have to and say. It is a heavy tome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really did enjoy the foreword. I like what you wrote there, Michael. I thought it was. Good writing. The forward? Yeah. That was Pastor Borland. Oh, okay. I really enjoyed that. Um, the rest was okay, too. Um, but uh, I do think it does build on, if you haven't read Michael's vocation book, I'd encourage you to, to go ahead and get that. That's through 1517. It will build on that, and then and the worship book, I think, will tie the two together. And I think you get a good sense for uh, Michael's theology. If you have been listening to the podcast for all these years now, you're gonna you're gonna read these books in Mike's voice. Mm. Um, I think it, that it comes through in a very uh, I don't mean this in a corny evangelical way, a very authentic way. Uh, you can hear Mike's voice, Mike's preaching. Uh, if you've heard Mike's teaching, uh, Mike's teaching coming through in the book. So that's what we're going to be talking about. We are part of the fifteen seventeen podcasting network. Encourage you to go to fifteen seventeen dot org. Check out all the great resources they have there. We each. All three of the bird flyers. We got to come up with a name for. Her. <laughs> That's not yeah. a very good name. The no, bird flyers. The bird flyers. No. We'll work on it. Yeah, yep. all three of us uh, of the guys had devotions out last week of fifteen seventeen. I've had one this yeah. week. I don't know. I, Michael's is today an excerpt from his book. So that's two weeks in a row for for Michael and I. Maybe Jason has another coming. I don't know. Yeah, um, I the ones I the ones that I've submitted have been published i'm planning to submit another one very soon okay so. so we've had uh kind of we've been somewhat regular with that i know i have a few coming as well um encourage you to check that out the the devotions that they do the bookstore free academy courses um, uh francisco uh, adam francisco is working on one on faith and reason i see yeah that should be uh really good and the thinking fellows have had a series of uh very good episodes um on Christianity and philosophy, and the the funny part is Scott has been on vacation, and I, I know Scott would love these, and somehow 
Adam had it, so they just they hit on these um, while Scott was gone. So I'm looking for the Scott reunion episode where he talks about missing out. But um, very good episodes they've had. And uh, I will say, too, I have been uh, pretty consistently now as I either ride my bicycle in or wait for the bus listening to the Christian History Almanac by Dan Van Voris. And um, it's just a good eight minutes way to start your day. I encourage you to maybe check that one out. That being said, Always come back to Let the Bird Fly. If you have not yet, subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. That's a huge help to us. Give us a rating. Five stars is great. Give us a review. Um, We really appreciate it. Uh, If you're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, share. We've been very active on both. Share away. Um, We appreciate it. Also on YouTube, we've had Words to Know, a video series we've been doing. Jason and I had a video from Rome. Um, We hope to be posting more there. I'm sure we'll have some book-related stuff for Michael that we'll be doing there as well. It's partly why we have the new studio looking nice so we can do video in it. Um, So I encourage you to go over to YouTube if you haven't. Look up Let the Bird Fly. Subscribe. Check out some of those videos. We hope some of the words that we're talking about are very shareable. If you have friends who maybe have questions about basic Christian concepts, that's what we're trying to hit upon. So we've said a lot. Um. And uh, we want to get to the book. So, Michael, would you be so kind as to read our disclaimer? Please? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism, because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, too not look around and realize you were just listening to a podcast, that's right, a podcast, so go live free, friends, and don't let us. Get in the way. Once again, Michael's first new book, the first of two that we will be discussing, The Baptismal Life by Michael Berg, published by our own synodical publishing house, Northwestern Publishing House. Mike has gone full synodical. Um, I think it's safe to say, Mike, you are the most wells of the three of us on the show. Would you agree with that? In what way? <laughs> well, you've published with MPH. Sure. Yeah. Um, you've done other synodical stuff. I, I would say. You're, you're a speaker at the leadership uh, conference. Mm-hmm. Um, Wells uh, WLS I, I will, Symposium. I, I will even go further than that. I don't know if you knew this. Interviewed thing. on Wells Connection. Yeah. I don't know. No, I Forward don't. in Christ. Your picture is you get interviewed for that, isn't it? No, that was for something else. Uh-huh. Um, I, um, Receptionist. I'll even go. Yeah. <laughs> Pietist at heart. Um, <laughs> no, I will uh, uh, even go a step further. I don't know if you knew this, um, but uh, my great great grandfather was a engineer in Germany who came over here and owned a hundred acres of farmland in Oak Creek, mm-hmm. and he technically was the layman who called over the the missionary who then began what we now know as Wisconsin. Yeah. Wow. 
And uh, then he, by all accounts, was a jerk. Uh, <laughs> tried his hand at California, didn't work out. And is buried in a reform cemetery in uh, Red Wing, Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am sure. Oh, one more thing. He apparently, the, uh, the, uh, the story goes, is that he wanted to fight in the Civil War, but the quartermaster wouldn't let him sign up because he was too old. He wanted to sign up with his, fr- his, his sons. And he... Uh, um, for he the North, ch- I hope? Yes. Because okay. <laughs> ch- it was Wisconsin National Guard, or yeah. whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just making sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. And, um, and so he challenged the quartermaster to a duel. And then it ended <laughs> up, they ended up accepting him for whatever. Nice. I don't ah. know how much. This is all not from family lore. This is in the, I, ah. I believe, in the uh, Wisconsin Lutheran uh, Seminary's uh, files. Like somebody did a church history paper uh-huh. on this. So wow. I just ask about out. the war, Michael, because not all of our <clears throat> family's uh, ancestors fought for the North, let's just we say. Were, uh, <laughs> we were. The Johnstons. Uh, they're, um, have southern roots. Yeah, we were we were so pious. Uh, my family was so pious um, that uh, we were on the we were, we were on the right side of the Civil War, and then we got out of Germany before World War One and World War Two. Wow, I mean, we were yeah. like, nope, we don't want any part of this, and they left. This is what we we this is what we do. There we're always on the right side of history. Al- <laughs> always, always, always. Whatever that means. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, we've established um, Michael, the most wells of us, who is published now with Northwestern Publishing House. This guy seems like every day he's talking about the unit concept. Do you ever know that? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, right. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Works it in almost every conversation. <laughs> Sometimes I just stop and, and say out loud, Adiaphra. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. It uh, mm. has published um, with our Synodical Publishing House, which I'm very happy to see. I, I think hopefully that means it will get a lot of churches uh, doing Bible studies on this. It's a book called The Baptismal Life. And so uh, Michael now has two books that are talking about the Christian life, which is not something people always expect Lutherans to be doing. In fact, historically, Lutherans can get kind of nervous talking about that. I just was watching last night from the 90s that um, someone just posted on YouTube a a presentation by Jim Nestigan. And uh, I can't remember where it was at, but it's, you know, kind of uh, mid to late 90s. And the first part was on grace, justification, and then he talks about transformation, and he kept telling jokes, like, you know, we Lutherans get nervous talking about <laughs> transformation. Um, but I would say, while both books <clears throat> are books about the Christian life, and maybe, Michael, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I wouldn't say they're sanctification books in the sense of how many people would think of a sanctification book um, kind of in the classic sense in the Wisconsin Synod and Synodical Conference Lutherans when we talk about sanctification in the narrow sense we're thinking of like the Christian life and, and just kind of it, this is not how it ought to be presented but sometimes how it comes across this kind of simplistic like you just keep making progress right and you're going to be holier and holier each day uh, this is not a, that, grow, a growth mindset. Yeah. Um, these are justification books that kind of address the question, what now? Right. Yeah. Um, if that's fair. And so I'd like to begin by asking you, uh, Michael, this book is called The Baptismal Life. Um, and it obviously, if you go through the book, it's very centered in, in baptism. Um, you seem to think baptism 
is important, that's not the whole question. <laughs> but you seem to think baptism is important, not just for um, this moment in the past where you got a certificate and now you're a member of a church, um, and uh, and you're hopefully saved, but that the baptism uh, is important precisely in the sense that uh, it's never in the past, um, and it's never just you're saved, but it is um, continuously saving, if I can maybe put it that way. Not that we're partially saved and being more saved, but it's something that we don't grow out from. So as you as you sought to, to write about the Christian life, uh, what, what made you decide to center it in baptism? Yeah, um, maybe one thought originally, what, or right off the, the bat, when you were talking about um, it's not a one-time thing, and yet it is a one-time thing. We don't re-baptize, right? Um, and and this, is, this is a bone of contention between, uh, we would say, uh, Lutherans and, in a different way, Catholics on one side and the larger Protestant world, uh, which would say, um, uh, so you're not saved? you got to keep being saved over and over again, right? It's not what we mean here. Uh, what we mean here is that I am exactly what you what you're talking about is like I'm not on this process of I am righteous but I also am a sinner right and so there's a constant death and resurrection so this is this is foundational to certainly Lutheranism when you think about Luther's uh, small catechism about the death and resurrection when he talks about baptism he doesn't shy away from that although I think in the past our, our preaching on baptism has shied away from that, that it's a death and resurrection. Um, uh, the second thing uh, to point out is, you know, why, why the baptismal life? Well, I think it's foundational to the Christian life. Lots of people talk about uh, being Christ-centered. Uh, this is a cruciform life. All true. Well, h- how, is that, how am I connected to Christ's cross? Baptism. Right, and I think it's also foundational, and this is this is where I thought you were originally going. It's foundational to the scriptures, this idea of water, spirit, word, this idea of washing, this idea of of being made holy. Um, I think is essential from Genesis to Revelation, which is what I wanted to pull out here. And so, uh, I think one of my one of my opening lines or whatever in the in the in the prologue was that there's a red line that runs through Scripture of, from Genesis to Revelation. It's about water. It's about salvation, justification, cleansing, and the new life that you now live. Yeah? And the water, that water theme jumps off the pages of Scripture and into the hand of a pastor, and the story now becomes your story. No. So when we, we tend to think about sanctification, now this is totally... Uh, this is a theme that we keep coming back to again and again is that when we have a certain context and we tend to look at all things, including scripture and theology, with that context, and it can be helpful, right? We talked about, we think about the brain as a computer right now that's probably, that can be helpful analogies to teach neuroscience to the uninitiated, but it's whole, it's wholly wrong, right? So when we thought about uh the, the Christian life when we were in our formative years and even into our early uh, ministry years, the context was growth, 
which is a thoroughly American uh, ideal, right? And uh, uh, it's not wrong. We, we, the Bible does talk about growth. But to see everything through growth has some problems, yeah? Uh, especially when it comes to sanctification. And so I think uh, in a roundabout way, my argument, it's not really an argument, but my argument in this book is that if you're going to see things through one lens, it's going to be the lens of the cross, and that becomes your story. Christ's story becomes your story, a death and resurrection story, intimately in baptism. So I don't think we, I don't think we should be the types of Lutherans who are Baptists who reluctantly baptize babies because we know we should, but rather that it's a thoroughgoing thing. So I heard a lot, oh man, I heard it from so many people growing up, like, hey, how come we don't talk about baptism more? And the answer was, well, you know, the Baptists get angry at that. As if our only mission field was middle-class former Baptists in the South and Southwest, right? And to say, but you're missing out on something that's so profoundly different and so profoundly dripping with well, grace. Even having a Missouri Senate oh. president who allegedly, somewhat famously, during the Battle of the Bible, said, you know, well, if there's no Lutheran church in your area, just go to the Baptist yeah. church. They, they just, they're off on baptism, but everything else is good. As, if, as was, if baptism is just a tangential thing. As it wasn't a fundamental thing. <laughs> and it's a fundamental thing we know. It's not, this is, this is the problem, I think, growing up in, in Lutheranism, in, in our context sometimes, was Holy Communion and baptism were at best something that we did that we were supposed to do, and yes, there was God's grace and it was beautiful, but it was not the center thing. At worst, it was something that we were embarrassed about. And 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 if you don't believe that that was, I'll, I'll give you quotes from lots of people, right? <laughs> um, we don't do this because it, you know, it's just, you know, it's hard to do and the visitor and whatever, and so you push that off to the side. But when you look at Paul thinking and talking about baptism, especially in Romans chapter 6, this is a fundamental thing. This is who you are. This is who you are. And so um, there's a lot of reasons why I think this is a fresh idea for some people, even though it shouldn't have been, because it's right there in the catechism. Yeah. And it's right there in Paul. And it's right there in John. Um, and it's right over all of the pages of Scripture, this idea of water and washing. Um, uh, there's a lot of reasons. One is it's, it's not an intellectual thing, and that's where we were. We're thinking things. It is, uh, it's a tough one to believe. You know, it's a little, seems a little Catholic. Um, it seems too easy. Uh, I don't know how many times do I hear people like, well, we know about Jesus and die on the cross. Let's get to more important things, which is usually what they meant was themselves. And it's not... And they see themselves as somebody who has overcome and is continuing to overcome instead of, and here's the primary issue, instead of a sinner saint who is dying and rising every single day. That's your identity, and it's all wrapped up in baptism. That uh, the, there, some of those mystical components you know, that, that you see there but are just so uncomfortable. Yeah. It seems for yeah. the for American Christians and yeah. you know I, and I think you know maybe over the last few years people are starting to get maybe a little more comfortable that 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 there's room for some of that, yeah. but um, especially you know like saying a, a generation ago that that was very 
out of place. And, right? and to say two things: one is, first of all, we like our mysticism Gnostic in America. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we don't yeah. like it. We don't like it actually to touch us. Uh, we want to turn inside of ourselves to to find ourselves. We don't want it happening to us. Um, but the other thing is, we're being critical of our forefathers here. They had a different battle, mm-hmm. and and they won some battles there that I don't know that you know we we would we would be scrambling for right now. Every generation's got their blind spots, and every generation has their has their their, their things that they they do better than the previous one. So it's not it's not as bashing them so much as to say, hey, things have changed a little bit, and here's an opportunity to speak of something that is truly Christocentric. And it's Christocentric in a way where Christ draws you into this death and resurrection kind of idea. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hope the I hope this book um, is an accessible book where people can see that uh, it comes from outside of themselves or outside of themselves. And yet, I think there's some good applications, but in a different, like not here's what you do application, here's your 10 steps to a, a baptismal life. But for instance, like, look at your baptismal certificate every day and say, I don't know what you got today, world. You may take everything from me, but you cannot unring the bell of the historical fact that I'm baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. I think that's the type of application that I was going for instead of like, hey, now if you if you... If you do this spiritual discipline, you'll become a better person. I uh, can I can so, I speak to the accessibility part of the the book, which I think is a very helpful thing. Sure. Uh, yep. And uh, then I, I got a point I want to come back to, but yeah, I've I got my interview notes here, Jason. I don't know if you can see them. Oh no, I didn't. do. You have yours out too? Oh, see, I just I'm I'm just rolling I'm with it. I'm, I'm just, just joking. Go I'm ahead with your accessibility. With <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think. Um, I, and again, you know, have I didn't have a, a long time to look, but look through it, but. I think just the way it's it seems to be broken up in very manageable yeah. um, chunks, and I think it should be accessible to a lot of people that way. And I think it's also, um, you know, written in a way that uh, is manageable to digest for a variety of um, people coming at it from a variety yeah. of levels. So, I, so I, I appreciate that. I'll let you talk in a second. Uh, so uh, maybe just talk about the structure of the book really, really quickly. I wrote it as a chiasm. Uh, not in the way that I'm trying to show off here. <laughs> but a chiasm, think of an X, that you start with something and then you get to the middle and that's the core is the middle, not the end. And then as you go out the other side, it matches up with, so the, the first and the last chapter match up, the second to the last chapter and the, and the second chapter match up. And then you get to the core. And so what I did was I said, we're going to start with, Genesis, right, and get to the baptism of Christ, and then when we go through Revelation, you'll see that it's matched up, and Revelation matches up often with with Genesis, um, which is, I think, is a way to say the center is Christ, and this is where your baptism meets Christ, right, and so the allusions in the Old Testament uh, are Christ, and then you have the commentary from the New Testament very often that points back to that same Christ, and that that place in, in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized in this context, which, of course, has to do with also the, the crucifixion Jesus in our place. And so, you know, it's like 20-some little chapters, but they're only a couple pages. Right. So I think you could read it as a devotional. I think you could read it as a, as a Bible class, taking a couple chapters as, as a, a little bit. And I, I had to, to uh, 
Kurt Jan, who I sent it to on a lark saying, hey, this is, this started as a sermon, actually. And uh, I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, let's do it. And he believed in it. And, and, and that was very nice. And he said, uh, it's divided up into portions where the, you know, the, the modern American reader can, you know, <laughs> like that's how they want to read. They want to yep. read a few pages at a time, have a break or whatever, which is perfectly fine. And so, I, again, thank you for that comment. Yes. Well, and I would say in that connection with accessibility too, one one time, sometimes uh, I think people hear, well, this is an accessible book. This is something that lay people should be able to follow along with. And maybe sometimes pastors think, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a popular work for laity. Yeah. Um, pastors, you should be reading popular works yeah. for laity. There's a value in reading things that uh, that seek to put things as clearly as possible for a wide as wide an audience as possible because that is your job um as preacher and teacher too and i would say uh, reading uh what i've been able to read so far as a pastor and as a uh, theology professor you're going to benefit from it in fact i would say some of my favorite theological texts um are what they they are my favorites because of the clarity that an author is able to bring to uh, what can be a challenging topic. I think especially this topic too, where even in um, the churches of the former synodical conference or broader American Lutheranism, maybe our baptism talk hasn't been our strongest suit. Um, This is a good way to bring people into that. But also in an American setting, um, Steve Paulson likes to joke that America was invented to oppose baptism (laughs) Um, in an American setting to help, uh, American evangelicals and others uh, find their way. Um, I do have a set in a moment of just some things I want to throw out to you and get your kind of quick reaction on the Michael. But one of the things to go back to with the baptismal life, uh, I joked about the um, the kind of the popular view of sanctification that we often hear and this idea of just personal growth and this growth model where we see the arrow kind of where we picture the Christian life like we picture our own children, where eventually they're supposed to get more and more independent and they move out of the house and they don't need us anymore. <clears throat> and that's that's antithetical um, to how the Christian life is lived in Christ. We grow in our dependence of him. It's like roots growing deeper. Um, and you, you said something important, and it comes out in the book, and I, I think I just would like you to just quickly unpack it more. As Lutherans, we don't deny that there will be cro- growth in the Christian life. I've been reading um, Laurie Heikola on the early debates about the role of the law and the third use of the law amongst Lutherans. And he put it well, what the Lutherans unanimously rejected was continuous and unbroken growth. Mm-hmm. Kind of this, if you're really a Christian, there will be this trajectory And I think American Christianity, and I would say especially in the 90s and early 2000s, set up a lot of people to fail. Mm. Where they became Christians, but then they struggled, or they sinned, or they had questions. And we see this now in people deconstructing, right, their faith and stuff like that. Uh, And we really turned people inward. Um, And sanctification became this kind of pietistic, introspective, Words like I joked before, authentic, <clears throat> sincere, real. And I, I think that did a lot of damage. Um, uh, and I think we're going to reap it for a generation or two in American Christianity. One of the strengths of 
your book, framing this as the baptismal life, and as you noted, with the chiasm, with it being rooted in Christ, is the baptismal life is not a turn inward. In fact, um, again and again, you note it's a call outside of ourselves. And so maybe before I kind of give you some of the rapid-fire stuff, if you could just unpack that just a little bit more for listeners so that hopefully hopefully they go buy the book and read it, but even if they don't, that they can understand um, that that we're not somehow we look out of ourselves to Christ and now we've got our start and now we really get to work on ourselves. Um, but the baptismal life uh, is is still an external and gift or however you want to yep. frame that. Um, yeah, things happen to us, right? I am, and this is, I think this is fundamental that, um, uh, the law happens to me, um, and the gospel happens to me. Um, uh, you know, even the virtues such as like humility, you know, like work on your humility. Well, good luck with Mm -hmm. that. You know, you're doing a good job. (laughs) Yeah. Um, God humbles me. God repents me in the in the way that He turns me. It, it's always outside of us. I I, I don't commit. Baptism is not committing suicide. Baptism is I am killed from outside of me with the law. Yeah, um, it's just my realization that I, I couldn't grow on my own. I needed to be uh, be killed to death and then resurrected. I don't I don't do the I don't do the killing and I don't do the the resurrecting that happens to me. I don't even. I don't even get to look for the opportunities for it to happen. God brings them yeah, to me. Yeah, and and th- this is scary to us who are masters of our own destiny, or so we think. Yep. Uh, but it's actually quite freeing, right? So this, you start off with the historical event of your baptism. That happened to you. That is an historic event that cannot be unchanged, right? You can reject the benefits of that, um, but you didn't, you didn't, ha- that didn't, that happened to you, right? And it's concrete and it's absolute and it's outside of you. And, uh, the continuation of baptism is also outside of you, but it happens to you. Um, and it does change you. And it's so freeing to know that God is, is working on me, right? Uh, working on some other stuff with Peter and the theology of the cross, and God's working on Peter. He's working on Peter. He's putting him into these situations. He's slamming Peter, um, and God's working on you in this death and resurrection, which is which is the the baptismal life. Um, yeah, and uh, the idea there that well, now I'm reborn. Now I got to start. Now I look inside myself to to become better, or more likely more accurately prove to myself that I'm saved, <laughs> right, <laughs> is uh, looking inside of yourself, and, and that that's really, uh, you know, it's a dangerous place to be. Uh, it's often an arrogant place to be. It can be a despairing place to be. Um, and uh, that's why, you know, every day look at your baptismal certificate. That, that does not change regardless of your, your yesterday, which may and most likely had been a disaster of a failure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really is comforting. It's extra nose, as we say. Yeah. All right, I'm going to throw some stuff at you, and we'll see you have to say. Um, I did have on my list, you mentioned earlier, water and scripture. 
Um, the early part of your book is going to deal a lot with that. Maybe if you want to throw out just one or two examples quickly of water and scripture and how you would connect them to baptism. Absolutely. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, you know, we're, we're not told a whole lot of the, uh, the creation account that we would like post Charles Darwin. Um, but we are told that there's the spirit and the water and the word. And we, we very easily connect the word to Christ. So Christ is there, the father's there, the spirit there. And, and we all go, yep, the Trinity is there, but there's also water. (laughs) And when God speaks, his word has creative power. And uh, there was another uh, situation where there was father, son, and spirit and water at the baptism of Jesus. And that, that there was another time when there was father, spirit, Christ, the true baptizer in water, and it was your baptism, and the word had creative power there as well because it created faith in a dead heart. And so it's not just, oh, that's, that's similar. There is something that happens that is similar. God's creative word creates something out of nothing. So that would be one example. Um, on a collective level, you could think about the, the uh, Red Sea, uh, Paul makes this very clear that uh, they were baptized into Moses, but you're baptized into Christ. And so the Red Sea is a picture of baptism. It starts off your 40-year wilderness in, the, in, this, in this dreary life, um, but God is with you the whole way. And at the end, uh, crossing Jordan, which is a euphemism for crossing over dying and crossing over into, uh, into the promised land of heaven, um, you become infantile again. Right, and you remember this water baptism promise, right? And there's quite a few more allusions there with the with the uh, the Red Sea, uh, and on the other side the Jordan River. But I can't help but but say that I walk in these footsteps of Israel in a very real way. But noticing what Paul says, you, they were baptized into Moses. Moses, Moses is great, but here's Christ. You're yeah. baptized into Christ. This is gospel. And, and Mike, we'll come back to baptism at the end. We'll see how much time we have. I might have one question on that. Um, circumcision. You talk about circumcision. Uh, how does, uh. What in the world <laughs> does uh, the practice of circumcision in the Old Testament have to do with baptism? Well, I don't know that we would have known that, except that Paul said that you know, baptism is circumcision of the heart. Uh, you know, the more and more you read Paul, the more and more you go, uh, I think I know why he never had a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's always great teaching Pauline epistles. Like, well, all right, here we go, circumcision again. There's, you know? there's so many illusions there. We're like, man, yep. you just don't have any attack there. Um, but that's on purpose, right? He's making points here, and so it's not a, it's not following a law, but it's a cutting off of the heart, the cutting around. So the Greek word for circumcision is literally to cut around, peritome, and so. Um, it is to cut, not that, oh, I have a good heart and I just got a little bad stuff, but it's, it's a surgery. The law is surgery there. And you can think about um, the promise given to boys. It was an inheritance of the promised land. They were marked with that. Uh, in baptism, you were marked as one redeemed by Christ crucified. You're a part of the family. You're a part of the inheritance of the promised land of heaven. The number eight, uh, being circumcised on the eighth day, eight people in the font, Eight is the number of eternity. All is a, a illusion that is connected to baptism. Um, um, uh, one of my favorite underused uh, uh, days in the church here was the circumcision slash naming of Jesus. They're on different days. Sometimes you celebrate them together on the eighth day after Christmas, so New Year's. Uh, how can you not teach baptism on New Year's? It's a new year. 
circumcision, name of the Lord. First right? time he sheds blood for us. First times he, you know, the first drop of blood shed for, I mean, there's just, you could write a, a new New Year's Day sermon, uh, your whole ministry, right? So circumcision has a lot of allusions to the to, to uh, baptism. All right, connected to that, sprinkling in blood. Yeah, this one's a little bit tougher because, um, you know, like, we understand that the picture of, of dunking a baby, right, uh, uh, a drowning of the old sinful nature, this resurrection idea of coming out of the water. But the idea of sprinkling um, as a symbol of cleansing has a history in the Old Testament. You just had to do with blood. Mm. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and you have the blood and the water uh, that these are the ones that testify about me, the blood and the water at the cross. The water is the baptism of cleansing, the water of baptism is cleansing precisely because of the blood of Christ, right. right? And my connection to him. And so I think it's not too far of a leap to connect those things there, that the sprinkling of blood was a cleansing picture and uh, that the, the pouring, the dunking, or the sprinkling, however you're going to do it, all have allusions uh, to cleansing in the Old Testament. All right. Um, the baptism of Jesus, and I think this is a helpful section you have, um, you know who has a really good bit on this, too, if I may recommend another book? Mm-hmm. You want to guess? Mm-hmm. Jason, do you know you saw me reading it? Oh, are you talking about uh, Benedict? Yeah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the first volume of three by Pope Benedict. Yeah. Um, he uh, he sounds downright radical Lutheran in this. So, <laughs> so you've got some competition Sometimes on this. <laughs> um, um, what is Okay, so we I'm, get Jesus is baptized. Yeah. We get this. Um, that makes total sense. He says he has to fulfill all righteousness. Yep, Jesus is going to come teach the law. Except <laughs> baptism wasn't commanded <laughs> in the law, right. right? So what does, my my question for you, yeah. what does Jesus' baptism have to do with my yeah, baptism? Yeah, this, th- this is the one that I thought would sink the book. It wouldn't get through the, uh, <laughs> because uh, uh, you know, I can just hear in the back of my mind the the, uh, the in, inaccurate and also uh, fuzzy uh, ironically fuzzy accusation of allegory. Yeah. Um, but uh, Luther makes it pretty clear, uh, I think in a hymn and in a prayer in one other place, and I have to uh, back that up with a little research, but that Jesus sanctifies the waters of, of baptism when he goes into the Jordan River. So he, he gives a cryptic answer to why he needs to be baptized. He's going to fulfill all righteousness. Um, well, he's going to be righteous in our place, but that's nice, as you said. But the point is that he gives us his righteousness. We are made righteous in his blood. So um, I took a shot and said, I think this is what Luther, Luther meant, uh, was that uh, Jesus goes into the Jordan River um, like OxyClean, and you go into the waters of baptism, dirty socks, and uh, you come out clean and white, and he takes that sin to the cross, Right. It's like a Tide Pod. Yeah, a Tide Pod, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think... Jason ate one of those ones. <laughs> no, I've, resist, I've resisted the urge. They are they colorful. Are, they are yeah. very colorful. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's too far. Again, late modern people who like to systematize everything and, uh, you know, and uh, hate everything of the past and uh, hate everything that's uh, not as clear-cut as math um, are going to say that's... That's not in the text, but I, I think it is. I think mm-hmm. it is because to fulfill all righteousness, what does that mean, right? Well, this is to, to save us, I mean, right. finally. 
And so there is the happy exchange. And since baptism is a connection to the happy exchange of the death and resurrection of Christ, I think I'm on good uh, setting. And that, so that's, that's all of these pictures of, of washing come to a head in the washing of Christ, which is so bizarre because he's the one person that doesn't need to be washed. But then it becomes my story because I'm being washed precisely because he's put himself in my place. Right. And so that would the center of the book is the baptism of, of our Lord. The, uh, all right. I have to go in a moment, but I got one thing I'll just say, read Michael's chapter on the wilderness after the baptism of Christ, because what happens with Jesus, right. Also is it's a picture of the Christian life that, um, if, if you're hoping to come to a faith that will uh, help you escape suffering, then don't be baptized. Um, I will say that's, that's helpful what Michael does there. Um, the last one I'm going to ask you, it comes up in Luther's flood prayer, the Flutgebet, <clears throat> um, that hopefully we're using at baptisms. Um, when, as Lutherans, we're baptizing children, it's a wonderful prayer. Um, Peter uses it uh, in probably the clearest verse in the Bible about what baptism does. Oh. Uh, uh, but the Ark of the Church. Yeah. I'll throw this one to you. We don't have a ton of time, but I'm curious uh, your thoughts, and then we'll wrap up. Well, the number eight there is, is, is once again, eight people in the Ark, which now Peter goes out of his way to say eight. There's eight sides to many fonts, right? So there's a, there's a picture there you probably never knew was there. Uh, but uh, the water of the flood both destroys and saves. The water of baptism both kills and resurrects. And then you have the illusion of the ship of the church, right? You have to understand that the ancients thought that the um, that the sea was the it's kind of like space to us, like unknown, and uh, you, you had to be super adventurous to go out there. We don't think if about you did that sail, way. you were just hopping along the coast. You were not, yeah, yeah. And you were. This is where all the nightmares came from, from children, right? This is this the sea and the deep and the, the monsters, you know, monsters yeah. and stuff out, like that. Out there, there be monsters. Yeah, and it's it's dangerous. It's a dangerous <laughs> place still today, and so the chaos of this sinful world beats upon the ark of the church, but you're safe in the ark. Um, and how do you get in the ark? Well, that's through baptism, ironically, through the water, through right. the water. Um, and, and so that's why it's helpful to have the font at the entrance to the church. That's why it's helpful to look up at a, certain church buildings that look like the hull of a ship. Uh, and so the ship is a, is a beautiful thing. Ironically, you know, the fish are safe in the, in the, in the boat. <laughs> ironically not because they have to but they have to die first right and so not to push that imagery too much but uh it's a beautiful picture if peter's peter's like hey i really got something here and he goes way out of his way to make eight in the ark and whatever we should pay attention to that and peter doesn't do that's a paul thing mm -hmm. like right i don't want to be simplistic in contrasting right. peter and paul but Peter even says Paul writes some things that are pretty deep. Yeah, that are pretty hard. Like, like you could the almost, rock is Christ. You can yeah. almost picture Peter like being like, "I'm going to do a Paul." Like, yeah. <laughs> here's this thing. And Peter dips his toe into al allegory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jason, I'm going to give you the last word or anything that comes to mind, and then we'll wrap it up. We will let our guest say the the catchphrase at the end. But right, yeah. No, I I think too i i'm looking forward to um spend a little more time with the book we, uh again just got a brief acquaintance with it and um i think it's going to be a, a really worthy addition for um a lot of people pastors lay people um you know reconsidering again you know some of these things that are so vitally important um 
in that, you know, reality that is ours in Christ through baptism. And uh, I appreciate the appreciate the work you put in there, and uh, looking forward to digging into that more. So thank you. Yeah. Set him up for the catchphrase. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I thought you were saying you're going to come back to that. Mike, but, I literally uh, said that, didn't I? I don't remember. I was yeah. Go ahead, So, so. Uh, this baptism thing, pretty, pretty, pretty huge, cool, pretty cool, um, and uh, so um, living that way um, for uh, us as uh, children of God, as followers of Christ, that's really that's really exciting, and it gives us an opportunity to go out and do what, Michael? Let the bird fly. Another round, another round, oh, one more round won't get me down. 